in three, two, one. Gratitude plays a pivotal role both in our personal and professional lives. On a personal level, gratitude is associated with greater happiness as it helps individuals appreciate what they have rather than what they lack. It fosters resilience, improves health, and strengthens relationships by promoting positive interactions and a sense of connection with others. Professionally, expressing gratitude can lead to better work environments, increased morale and productivity. It helps in building and maintaining professional relationships and can also be a catalyst for networking opportunities and career advancement. A culture of gratitude within organizations can reduce employee turnover and enhance job satisfaction. To help us understand how to integrate gratitude into our lives is author, speaker, and CEO of Gratitude at Work, Steve Foran. Well, hi, Steve. Welcome to the program. We're delighted to have you. Pleasure to be here, Michael. Looking forward to it. Now, where are we speaking to you from today? I'm in Halifax, uh, Nova Scotia, east coast of Canada. One of my favorite cities in North America. So you've got great restaurants. Lots of people are amazing. You've got good everything there. We like it here. The ocean, it's like a magnet, draws you in, and the people are fantastic too. So glad you like it here. Yeah, no, really enjoy it. I'm really excited about our topic today. You're, we're going to talk about your book, Surviving to Thriving, and just how important that is. And we're talking about gratitude and how yeah. important that is and all about gratitude. And it was a very interesting topic. I've experienced gratitude in my personal life, and I try and practice it, but you really go into depth and you brought in elements to it that I didn't even know existed. Now, what's interesting, though, is you're a recovering engineer, I believe, and you started your career path as an engineer. What led you to the topic of gratitude and, more importantly, founding your company, Gratitude at Work, back in the early 2000s? Yeah, thanks. People are surprised that, you know, how does someone go from being an engineer to this, whatever this is? And did you have a life-altering moment, Steve? Did you, and I didn't, I just came to this gradual realization that my life was handed to me on a silver platter. One of the things that did kind of really tip the balance for me is when our kids, their first jobs were in a neighborhood coffee shop when they're 15 years old. And Nick, he's four months into this job. He starts in August and probably by the end of the year, his bank account, it was greater than half of the world's population like in terms of his net worth in four months. And I'm looking at him thinking, buddy, you didn't do this on your own. We're proud of our kids. But really what I realized, Michael, I was talking to myself. Because up to that point, I thought I did it on my own. And that's when I had this realization, my life was just handed to me on a silver platter. I was in grad school. So I said, I'm going to do my research on this. And then I looked at my wife when I was done. I said, hun, I think this is what I got to start doing for work. And I didn't even know what this was back in 2006. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting about the gratitude. And you talk about leadership. Your book's really all about how do we employ this into our organizations, into our companies, all around leadership. But I couldn't help but see the correlation between our personal lives in general, too. So the, the application of this works corporately, but it's very much on a personal level as well, isn't it? It totally is. This is all about gratitude is about mindset. And so when you and I, and for you listening, and when you adjust your mindset, it touches every aspect of your life, at work, at home, 
in your community, wherever it is. And it really is a recalibrator that changes how you show up and how you show up. That's why I believe it's a leadership skill because how you show up determines how you influence others. It's all about leadership. Yeah, well, it makes sense. This is entrenched in your website and throughout your mission in life is really to go and make a billion people happier. How's that going? I'm still trying to figure out how to actually do this. How do you measure it? And I, I think the comfort that I have in it is I'm not going to wait to have it all figured out before I get started with it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. There's a few connections of mine that have just taken this and are expanding. And I've got no idea. I know they're just having a tremendous amount of impact. So we're still trying to figure all that out. But we've never lived in a time in human history where we've been more abundant. We've got more reasons to be happy, to be grateful. Right. And the reports that we see from the United Nations on global happiness, they're going in the wrong direction, led by the Western world. So we're working on it. And I guess the other belief that I have, I mean, the workplace is a place we really need it. But really, that's just the Trojan horse into society, if you know what I mean, because no, you're right. We as people, I believe, are going to be strengthened by coming together, understanding each other more. And gratitude, it just, I don't know, from what I've experienced and what I see, it leads to that. It's interesting with gratitude and what you're saying about different people, cultures, countries. It seems to me that the more abundance that we have, the less gratitude we seem to see and experience where, you know, my wife and I, we get to go to Mexico a lot for work and that's where we go for pleasure too. That's where we go to recreate. And we've been in little villages in Mexico and the people welcome us into their communities, dirt floors, they're cooking dinner, they're offering their food and they don't have much of anything, but they're smiling and they're happy. And then we have friends who have done very well and are let's say they're affluent they've been successful and they're miserable they're going through divorces their kids are experiencing troubles we see it all and there seems to be an, almost an opposite correlation what we think is going to make us happier is the abundance of things and really we almost become less grateful why is that we adapt this is an engineer going to give you a little bit of a psychology lesson here sure Think of the headwind and the tailwind. When the wind is with us psychologically, we don't notice it as much. But when it's in our face, when we're into a headwind, when things are going against us, we really notice it. When things are going well, we tend to discount it. And then we also have this tendency to adapt. Our brains adapt. Once we get something, it becomes the new normal. Think of anyone who's, I don't know, gotten a raise. Oh, geez, right. if only I would get this raise or only I get this host or go on this vacation or this, and then I'll be happy. Well, as soon as right. you get it, we just reset the bar. And it flips it around because what you're talking about, it's the perfect illustration of stuff doesn't make you happy. Being happy doesn't make one grateful. Being grateful makes one happy with whatever it is that you have. What you have does not make you happy. We need to be able to find. And when I say we, I'm not telling anyone that they should be grateful. But when I can be grateful for what I have, that's going to lead me to a place of happiness. And it doesn't mean that I can't desire a different host or a different relationship or a different vacation, whatever it is. But if I can't be happy with what I've got today, changing the stuff isn't going to make a difference. And yeah, that's what we're seeing. 
That's what we're seeing, Michael. It's interesting. I came across the concept of gratitude years ago from another speaker, James Ray. He wrote a book years ago, and James Ray was a very good speaker, wrote some really good stuff, and then he fell on some hard times. I think you might remember the case there. But he did have some very profound things at the time around gratitude, which impacted my world. What he talked about was when we start our days with gratitude, we spiral up. So let's say we face anxiety or depression, and if we start our day with gratitude, it's got an upward spiral to it where if we don't, we can downward spiral and we can find ourselves in a hole. Does that resonate with you as well? It totally resonates with me. It totally does. Let's just take that into a workplace setting. Think of, I don't know, if you have a morning huddle, you're doing safety meetings, right? Take whatever it is your team is doing and take five minutes, take three minutes, depending on the number of people, just have everyone go around the table and say one thing they're grateful for. And you can mix it up each time. What you're doing is you're putting people in a positive frame of mind. And for the person who's struggling that day too, it's an even greater exercise for them because without being judged, without anyone telling them, Steve, you should be grateful. If I'm the one having the terrible day, I'm hearing what you're having. And it causes me just to step back and reflect on my life. What it does is, and people tell me this, it changes the tone of our meetings. And they're more uplifting. And people will come. It doesn't mean we ignore the crap and challenges that are happening, but it puts you in a positive frame of mind so you're better able to deal with them, right? Yeah. No, that makes sense. And I think as leaders, one of our biggest roles is protect the confidence of our teams and our families and our children and our spouses and partners. And if we start that way, that's a great exercise in order to do that can have a very positive outcome. I know some people might look at it and go, okay, this is a little voodoo-y or it's that soft skill, but I think it's powerful. In your book, you talk about there's many positive outcomes that come from having a gratitude mindset. You talk about physical health, mental health, social health, personal, and when we get on, for instance, social media, I think sometimes we compare ourselves to them. And then, of course, that doesn't make us versus just comparing ourselves to ourselves. And if we only use ourselves as that benchmark, we don't have any issues. But when we compare ourselves to others, that's where we maybe we get down a little bit. Do you see that across the board on a personal level and a professional level? Let's talk a little bit about comparison here, because I think it's a great place to begin is, sure. yeah, I don't believe comparing serves me well, ever. I still compare, though. Right? There's just the human tendency to do that. What I need to do is to be able to catch myself when I compare. Right. And there's a couple different comparisons you and I can make. We can do upward comparisons. Geez, if I only had a house as nice as Michael. Right. If I had a place in Phoenix to go, oh, that must be like, and then I'm down on myself, right? How am I grateful for what I have when I'm comparing with somebody else? And that way, I won't appreciate what I have. And then there is another comparison that we can make, and that's a downward comparison, where I'm comparing myself to somebody who, geez, I'm glad I don't have their house. I'm glad that my spouse doesn't have the disease that their spouse has. Right. And there are some who would teach and say, use downward comparisons to find gratitude. And I'm going to discourage don't use downward, don't use any type of comparisons to find gratitude because then your gratefulness becomes conditional on what you have or what somebody else has. I'm better than them. And it's like, I don't see how that's going to serve me or anyone else. But if that's the only way you can find gratitude, I would say start there because that is the place. But I would discourage you from using that practice if at all possible. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I was watching some of your videos early this morning. I'm an early riser, so five of 
5.15, I'm in the gym. And so I was watching some of your videos and I thought, oh, okay. So on my way back from the gym, I'm walking, I'm smelling the fresh air and we live in a wonderful community. It's beautiful. It's cold. I'm up in Canada and I'm going, hey, you know what? It's in positive territory. I live in a nice community. It's a safe community. I'm not worried about people barging into my home in the middle of the night. I've got access to good food, good nutrition. I get a chance to go exercise. So I started just literally applying some of the principles that you teach in your yeah. book and in your videos. And you can't help but arrive in a positive mindset. Great way to start the day. It's one of those things that you can just do. And it's almost like taking Advil for your aches and pains. You know, 20 to 40 minutes after you take your pills, those aches and pains get numbed. You just don't notice them anymore. And I find the same thing with this, you know, 15 or 20 minutes. It's not like you have to do this for months or two. It's got an immediate impact, doesn't it? It really does. It can have an immediate impact. And for some people, it might take a little longer, just depending on how we're wired. So if you try yes. this, like what Michael suggests, you go, it's not having that same impact on me. Just give it some time to be able to do that. And there's two really big benefits. One, you feel better, like you describe. The second one is that you tap into the executive function in your brain. When I go negative, we effectively turn the switch off to our executive function. This is the higher order part of the brain. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. This is what controls decision-making, yeah. critical thinking. Say your world is swirling out of control. Sure. You need access to this to be able to deal with it. But if we go negative, we're in a place where we can be stymied, not make decisions. We're not going to operate as our best self. So gratitude, it doesn't mean pretend the crap isn't happening. It's where's the good here? Where's the good? Ah, here it is here. Here it is here. And it totally changes how we're going to show up. There's always good and there's always opportunity, isn't there? No matter what happens, yeah. no matter what condition. So uh, it's how we look at it. And you talk about this in your book. You say we have natural tendencies regarding our disposition to being grateful. You call it trait gratitude. So for example, optimistic people tend to be more grateful. Spiritual and religious people tend to be more grateful. Older people tend to be more grateful. Women tend to be more grateful. So I'm assuming the opposite of those traits is also true that we can expect to see some ingratitude. In other words, older people see it. Like I know as we get older, we're just, we wake up, we're happy. That's, I'm so glad I just woke up. So we do see it in, and it is part of that mindset, but people maybe who aren't optimistic, who tend to see the glasses half empty, you know, more pessimistic, do they have a harder time being grateful for things or can they turn that around as well? Yes, they have a harder time. And yes, they can turn it around. Any of us can turn it around in any circumstance. And if you haven't got the sense, I'm a very positive person, I still go negative. I'm a human being. So it's just like, you know, Steve, remember, you preach this stuff. Yeah, I know I'm human, but it's to be able to catch ourselves. And what happens is it's just like when you go to the gym and you work your muscles over time, your muscles strengthen. So from the research, we know that we strengthen our gratitude muscles for what you want, our brains yeah. and how they're wired because they are the neuroplasticity of our brains. Gratitude changes our wiring, our core wiring. And it's easier if you're more naturally, if you have a higher level of trait gratitude, it's going to come easier to you. If you don't, it doesn't mean you're not going to be able to continue to grow and be more grateful, but it might take a little longer. That's all.
Yeah. In your book, you document a lot of the science and the neuroscience from Harvard and Berkeley, where we see the impact on that. And as that relates to ourselves as individuals and also as people, you know, leaders in the workforce, for a couple of decades now, you've been working with business leaders and their teams, and you teach that employees or potential employees want more than a paycheck. And I thought this was really, really interesting because there's a problem in the marketplace. Newer generations, the millennials, the Gen X, they're looking for something more than just a paycheck. What are they looking for? Other than the, the ping pong tables, the foosball tables and beanbags, that's pretty much standard generation, but that's not enough, is it? No, I don't think it's enough. And whether you are from the baby boomer X, and some people say that these generations are all so different, but I remember growing up in the seventies, I was born in 63, so I'm 60. When I was growing up, people were dying on university campuses, standing up against wars and standing up for equal rights. And they were doing a lot of similar things that you see talked about today. And there's a couple underlying motives that I believe, and beyond what I believe, psychologists, we know this. We want to know in order to act and show up, we need to feel capable and competent. And two, we need to know we're socially valued, that somebody cares about us. And if those two things, those two needs are not met, I'm not going to bring my best to work. And so when I was doing my MBA, they told us, when you give feedback, make sure you're very specific. Great job on the podcast. You ask great questions. You prepare for it. That fulfills your need of knowing you're capable and competent. But if you believe I don't care about you as a human being, irrespective of anything else, doesn't matter if you feel capable and competent. So we need to make sure those basic needs are met, feeling capable and competent and socially valued. Gratitude, it takes care of both of them. And they didn't teach us anything in our MBA classes about making people sure that people need to know you care. And the most important person for me at work, do you know who the most important person that I need to believe cares about me? It's my boss. Yeah. And if you got people that report to you, even if you do care for them, if they think you don't, they're not going to show up their best. Yeah. And you know what? It's never been harder to be a supervisor, to lead people, because I know you care. But if you make a decision, oh, yeah, what's Steve doing? He doesn't care about us. And it's like, oh, I do care. Like my kids, if they based, you know, dad cares about us based on only doing things that made them happy. We wouldn't, you know, as a parent, you know, that we make decisions because we care about people. And so it's never been harder, I don't think, to be a leader in an organization. I think it's evolved into our consciousness. Like we've moved from the factories where they really don't care. You're just a body and they're doing a job to where we bring in that EQ that has now become entrenched and a big part of what we do. This episode is sponsored in part by Rainmaker Digital Solutions, featuring ActiveCampaign. Looking to drive growth with customer experience automation? ActiveCampaign, the number one marketing automation platform for e-commerce, B2C and B2B companies, gives you the email marketing, marketing automation, and CRM tools you need to create incredible customer experiences. ActiveCampaign is the platform we use to reach, nurture, convert, and grow our business, and you can use it to grow yours. You can see why 150,000 plus businesses like yours choose ActiveCampaign to help them grow and become preferred in the markets they serve. You can also start your free trial by visiting our website and clicking on the ActiveCampaign trial link. As a bonus, we'll also give you a digital copy of my book, Becoming Preferred, How to Outsell the Competition. 
and in the interest of full disclosure, I am a shareholder in the company. And now back to my conversation with Steve Foran. As you work with these companies and you talk about culture and the importance of culture and how we create a culture, what's the correlation between gratitude and trust in the workplace in a day-to-day, you know, living that really matters? You talk about trust and how trust is, and I started thinking I've never really viewed that as correlated with gratitude, but it is. Unpack that a little bit for us. The research around trust and gratitude, if I express gratitude to you or do something to evoke gratitude in you, it builds trust between us. The impact and the significance of it is it's elevated when the people already know each other. If it's strangers, trust isn't impacted as much. So in the workplace, what we do is, what we see is that we strengthen the connection between each other. What we do, in fact, is is that I recognize my interdependence with you. Remember how I said at the beginning, I had this realization my life was handed to me on a silver platter? Prior to that, I thought I was this self-made man. I did it on my own. Forget about whether they're worthy or not, right? But when we see this connection between each other, that strengthens. And what we know is that gratitude, it does build connections between people. And part of it is trust. And part of it is simply because we recognize the interconnection and the mutual success that we have between each other. Yeah, and I'm starting to see that permeate in other aspects of life. The words evolved a little bit. We say thank you. A lot of people do thank you. And you've got a very interesting video on your website where you, you did your study there on oh, yeah. doors for people, right? And I have them say it to me, and now I'm starting to say it, where, hey, I appreciate you. I appreciate the work. I appreciate your professionalism. I appreciate the time. If I'm being interviewed for a speaking engagement like yourself, one of the first things I do is, hey, I hope you choose us, but I appreciate the fact you're considering me for your event. And I find that goes a long way. Even at the super market. They're ringing it in. You see them going through the rote transactions of just ringing in everything. And I go, you know what? How's it going? Start engaging. Hey, appreciate the work again. Or I appreciate your professionalism here. Appreciate the mood you guys have in your store and just, oh, thank you. You can watch people actually change and you can see it before your eyes where they brighten up and you never know what kind of impact you're having on them on that day. So to me, as leaders, creating a culture is essential. How can leaders and how can companies create a culture of gratitude and authentic gratitude, not where it doesn't come across as sincere or genuine. How can we do that? Number one has nothing to do with how, (laughs) right? Right. Yeah. The condition you put on your question so that it's genuine, Steve. Right. So the number one thing that as leaders we need to do is genuinely care for our people. And any rocket science to that? None. Mm -hmm. If we genuinely care for our people, That's the number one. And I've got a playbook on my website with 15 different strategies and tactics that you can use to implement gratitude at work. It's free. You don't even need to give me an email address to get it. So we can include that as a link in the show notes. But really what you want to do as a leader is live it and talk about your own experience with it. That story you shared about the walk this morning and just doing, you are modeling Talking about what you're grateful for is modeling it for others so others can see it. Okay, I can see how we're doing this here. Mm. Bring it in to make it part of how you operate. I encourage people and companies and anyone that I'm working with, 
How do you bring that into your meetings? You talk about safety and quality as important in your organization. What do you do with safety and quality? Are they separate departments all on their own? No, we want it in everything. Okay, if gratitude is going to be part of your culture, don't make it something extra. Just make it part of this is how we roll. <laughs> this is how we become, roll. Become the CGO, the Chief Gratitude Officer. I think we just created a new title. That, that could work. Whoa, good. No, good stuff. In your book, when you talk about leadership and developing those leadership mindsets, you talk about them as four mindsets of leadership. Surviving, striving, arriving, and thriving. Yes. Unpack that a little bit. I mean, it's abundance versus scarcity. You got abundance at the top end of the scale and scarcity down at the bottom. Are we in one of those areas? And obviously, we have to try and keep evolving all the time if we're coming from an organization where maybe it is scarcity, maybe we're barely you know, getting there. What have you seen work within your own work with companies? Yeah, this hierarchy of, I call it the hierarchy of leadership, and it's really a hierarchy of mindsets that you and every single person in your organization at any given point in time is either surviving, striving, arriving, or thriving. And I can think of it, the scale, life is a battleground to life is a playground, somewhere in there. And at any given point in the day, your people are all over. They're moving. Like you and I, we change through the day based on what happens to us. And so what gratitude will do, it trains us. It continually reminds us that life is a playground. And all we need to do is take time to step back to be able to actually feel and believe that life is a playground. That's actually a good point. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And how do you do that? The only way I know is I call it have a habitual ritual. Have a practice. Something that you're doing. This isn't a one and done. You don't join the gym, go once and think, there, I'm covered for life. Have a daily practice. I'm going to record what I'm grateful for. The second one has been a game changer for me. Consume other people's gratitudes. I don't know about you, but what I've noticed in myself in this last half hour is that I actually feel better and more optimistic and more energized having this conversation with you, listening to what things that you're grateful for, consuming other people's gratitudes, listening or reading to what other people are grateful well, for. There's a value bomb right there. I think you're right. And it's, it's contagious. It's a contagion, actually, when we it demonstrate is. our gratitude because then it makes us gratitude, which is a great way to, like you say, start our meetings. Recently, we were visiting a daughter and our grandchildren up in northern British Columbia and flights got delayed. There was technical mechanical issues and you could see people getting grumpy and the weather was bad and it looked like we were getting socked in and we could be missing things, right? We had to get back for how that goes. And so we're looking at the importance of our lives. But I've been a pilot for 40 years. And so I always appreciate pilots who do their diligence and find problems. And so you could see people get grumpy, but I'll usually hit the lounge, grab some cookies, bring it on the flight. We're two, three hours late. We're boarding. Everybody's in a mood. And I might bring the cookies or something for the flight attendant and the pilots. And I just say, hey, I robbed the lounge for you. And just, you know what? Really grateful you guys are diligent in your work and wouldn't fly this plane until it was perfect. And thank you. I know it causes some issues for some people, but hey, you know what? Our safety is first and foremost. Appreciate you guys paying attention to this stuff and not just going, which is important. It's an important mindset. Give them the cookies. I do that in an authentic and a genuine way, but typically, and this is like 100% of the time, that gets reciprocated pretty quickly. Sometimes they'll come by if it's a long flight or a cross-country flight. Flight attendants come by and they'll buy me a glass of wine or I'll hear them, hey, Mr. Vickers, we have your seat ready for you now in 3C. And they bump me up and I'm like, 
Oh, thank you very much. And people are looking around, what's going on? And so to me, it's like, if you want great customer service, be a good customer. And so show gratitude for the service being provided to you. And it just expands on it. Hey, this is amazing. Or checking into a hotel or anyone you're dealing with. Just, I love coming here. You guys are so awesome at what you do. I love the quality of the work you put into things. They work harder and you can actually see them doing it. So it's that appreciation, it's that gratitude. I really do think it does make a difference and hopefully we can all help you get on that journey to a billion and maybe we can get two billion. I think that's an important part. You talk about though in your book about the invisible barrier that keeps most people in the struggle of scarcity. What do you mean by that? I was curious about that. You hit on it in your previous comment. I was gonna say, let's not go to the next question. I wanna go back to what you said. You don't get hooked. Like in that circumstance that you talked about, Michael, you weren't hooked by the fact that you're going to be late and you paid for this and I deserve this and that. Notice how quickly I can get down a road of entitlement. I deserve this, this, this. And it puts me in a place of being ingrateful. Yeah. How am I going to show up as their best? So this invisible barrier, it is there. We don't even realize it's there. That's keeping us like, if we don't step back and say, where's the good here? Oh, you can change that invisible barrier into a platform that you can stand on. And hey, you know what? I'm going to be able to do this. Thanks for keeping us safe. And the funny thing is, if you did it just to get an upgrade or just to get that, people know when they're being used. That ain't going to work. When you're genuine, when you're genuine, people will bend over back. They'll do backflips for you. And they'll do it because they want to. We each have a need to serve, to help others to give, to be in connection, to be in community with people. We have that. And so if we don't notice it, we're going to get hooked. And when I get triggered, whatever it is that hooks you, notice what it is. One of the things that'll hook me, I'm driving in town and Halifax were super friendly, but you know, during traffic, rush hour traffic, you're all good. People will come up on the outside lane and then they'll cut in. And so I'm just like, okay, I'm going to let this person in. I let them in and they don't wave to me. And I get all indignant. And then I realize, oh my goodness, Steve, what were you doing that for? Were you doing it to get a thank you or were you genuinely trying to be generous? And it's like, okay, it doesn't matter if this person waves to me. If I'm truly grateful, I should do this with no strings attached. Guilty as charged. Yeah. Once the gratitude is given or demonstrated, it's over. There's no strings attached to it. I think that's an important part. You know, I laughed when I watched your video where you did the little survey, you opened the door for 100 people around Halifax and 99 out of 100 said thank you and one didn't. It reminded me of a story one time where I was actually opening the door for someone and as I'm just holding it open, two or three of them were coming in, it was kind of snowy outside. And the person I was opening the door for, she says to me, she goes, I can get my own door, thanks. And so I just looked at her, my instant, instinctive response just to her was, oh, I'm not doing it for you. And she looks back, who are you doing it for? I said, I'm doing it for me. I like who I am. And I'm just happy to do that for you. So enjoy your day. And kind of went on. That was the end of the interaction. But that's what reminded me of that. I thought, yeah, there is no strings. I don't need you to say thank you. I like who I am when I do that. And what's nice about it is it's almost got like an endorphin payoff. It's like you said, going to the gym. I recently started doing spin class. I thought I got to give my cardio a bump. I play sports in the summer, but in the wintertime, we get a little on the laser side. I'll do the workouts, but I need to get the cardio up. And so I started doing spin class. Man, that's exhausting. And I'm the oldest guy in the room. I'm old enough to be everybody's dad in there. And they get 
get going quick and your heart rate it jumped into the 150 160 range i was looking for a defibrillator on my first session but when i got done the endorphin rush that came from it reminded me you know from running and i felt great and i was exhausted but it felt good and it was an instant payback and one thing i think about this is when we do things or we show appreciation we show gratitude it really does have an instant payback and it's working that muscle right so it gets easier and easier to your point it's paying attention to that one thing i love about the book in each of your chapters you present a list of reflective questions in your book that people can ask themselves so that they can walk away with something which makes it very practical so you can kind of move around in there but one of them i was curious about the questions you said are any of my values due for a time out and i was curious about that and i thought what do you mean by that one of my values is responsibility like i'm the oldest i think it comes a little bit from that you know so if it's to be, it's up to me, which like any strength taken to an extreme is a weakness, right? That's and right. so if we think of values like virtues, my value of responsibility led me to a place where I kind of thought I was this self-made guy, yeah. right? Self-made person. And so I just had to kind of take it and give it a little bit of a time out and realize, yeah, responsibility is still a value of mine. But I've got to recognize and realize that if things are going to happen, I need to take some responsibility to make that happen. If I look at my success or you look at your success as you look around, do I claim that all for me? And I just kind of realize, oh, my goodness. One of the things I said in the book, I said, I feel like a turtle on a fence post. And someone says, what's that mean? Well, if you ever see a turtle on a fence post, you know it didn't get there by itself. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah. And so does that give you a bit of a yeah. sense as to, yeah. you know, sometimes we just got to take our values, which we believe so strongly in, just kind of put them in context. And like Aristotle, he would teach us, virtues sit at a midpoint. Are my values at a midpoint or am I moving them to an extreme? And so it's this place in the middle that is really important to stay. Yeah, and we didn't get there. You call it a staircase, too, in your work, where somebody built the staircase. We have yeah. to do the effort to climb the stairs. And if we've been on stairs and lots of stairs, we know how much effort that can be. And when you first start to do it, but somebody built that staircase for you to climb on. Absolutely. And it was a great analogy. There are two points I want to cover. In the sixth law of grateful leadership, you talk about there is good in virtually every situation. Go into more depth about that. I believe no matter the situation, there's good. And, you know, when the pandemic came on, I was like, what do I do? All my speaking canceled. Yeah, <laughs> you know, we, we weren't doing virtual then. So right. I just said, I'm going to start doing this virtual. And I remember the first session I did, maybe it was on the 20th of March. I think I had eight, nine people online and I'm standing there in front of the camera and my heart is going like I got 20,000 people in the audience. I was so nervous. And we did this exercise around the biggest challenge that you've faced in your life that you've overcome. And then I just asked people, what are you grateful for in that challenge? People just started. That's a great question. And, and, and so they start talking about it. And then I say, okay, who wants to share? And they start talking about the things that they were grateful for. And you do a little talking to them, asking some questions. Sometimes people could see it right away. Sometimes it took people some time to reach it. So I don't know how many. I probably did that program 50 times over the pandemic. And the stories that people told, you would not say, I want to be grateful for that situation. But there wasn't a situation that people didn't find something that they were grateful for. Not just something. Right. A lot. And these are situations that if you were to pick them out of a hat, 
you'd say, can I put that one back in? Because I don't want this. Right. And it was just over and over and over again. So it's just training our brains to be able to look for that. Like when yeah. the world collapses around you, someone that to rely sense. on. You talk about the advantage of creating a gratitude list because there's lots that we should be grateful for. You talk about really that gratitude can impact our moods, our productivity and our relationships. How does the list impact that? Or has that become our constitution with that as the outcome? It's like, how does doing hundreds and thousands of leg lunges make Usain Bolt the fastest human being that ever lived? Like he does, that's his training, right? Yeah. You'd never see him do that. All you see him do is run over the finish line with his arms over the ear. Making a gratitude list is the leg lunges of a world-class mindset. Good analogy. Good metaphor. Right? Yeah. So this is the preparation that leaders that we do, whether you're at work, your home, and your community. This is what the training to get this so that when you're in the spotlight, you've done the training, you're prepared, and you're able to not get hooked. And you're able to see that is the leg lunge. That's what making a gratitude list yeah. is all about. And like I say, it becomes foundational for everything else in our lives. Steve, this was awesome. Amazing. I love the work. The book is called Surviving to Thriving, The 10 Laws of Grateful Leadership. Any final comments? I want to thank you for having me on this podcast, for sharing me with your listeners. And for the listener, I want to encourage you to start a gratitude practice. And if you've got one, take it to the next level. Awesome. We'll have all the contact information on the website, gratitudeatwork.ca. We'll have all your social media that people can find you. If you're in leadership on a personal level, is learning how this can be part of your DNA because it's certainly part of yours. And wherever you are on your journey, you can bring this into your journey and you can start immediately. And what's nice is you see the benefits. You don't have to do this for months and months and months. That just reinforces the habit, but it's really starting each day with that habit of gratitude because we do have lots to be grateful for. Steve Foran. A pleasure having you. Pleasure is mine. Thank you very much. You're welcome. This podcast is created and associated with Summit Media. My executive producer is Beth Smith and director of research, Tori Smith. The fee for the show is that you share it with friends when you find something useful or interesting. This podcast is subject to copyright by Summit Media. Goodbye.